Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Thank you from talking in the meantime. Okay. Um, if you don't know, my name's Owen. I'm the, the pastor here of Beacon Church. And uh, we are in a series in the book of James. Um, We've come to the penultimate week. Uh, Next week we're going to finish the series. And I just want to mention before I talk about James today, that next week, the last part of the book of James is all about the prayer of faith and praying for healing. And so... Um, We were in a prayer meeting this week and it became really evident that one of the things that we feel we should do next week is to pray for people for healing. And so um, I kind of want to just put that out there and that might be physical healing, it might be another kind of brokenness, whether it's emotional or or spiritual. Um, We're just aware that um, God heals and people often need prayer and if we can connect those two things, who knows what God might do. I, I was reminded of the passage in Isaiah 61, just thinking about next week really, where it tells us to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve. And so next week's going to be a little bit of that where we're going to be praying for people. Um, so I want to encourage you to come next week. Um, I also want to encourage you maybe to, if you've got a friend or someone that you think, do you know what, it would be great if you came to church because they're praying for people this week, um, then bring them along next week. Um, uh, you know, friends or members of your family uh, who you feel like hey, they could do with a touch from God so we can pray with them. And, and um, this week, some of the leaders will be praying and fasting uh, in, in expectation that God is going to be with us and he's going to move Uh, next Sunday. So that's just to let you know that brings the book of James to a close. But as I said, this is the penultimate week and uh, we're in chapter five of James and I'm just going to read the first 12 verses and really pick out a, a, a section of that to speak on. So James chapter five. Now listen, you rich people, Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains, You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. 
the judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need, is to, all you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Seems a little harsh, but there we are. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just the presence of your Holy Spirit this morning, uh, speaking into lives, strengthening and encouraging, uh, comforting and at times rebuking. Uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit will continue its work even as I speak in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how often you read the book of James, but if you, uh, you know, uh, the first few verses of this chapter uh, talk about the dangers, I suppose, of wealth and of money, the problems of wealth, and you ignore it at your peril. Um, it may be that if you are really wealthy, you don't want to read those kind of things and you want to skip on to other bits where God talks about how he blesses the wealthy or whatever it is. Um, but excess luxury and self-indulgent living are by very nature, they're exploitative, they exploit people. The power that comes with wealth is dangerous power often. And James in this passage, he doesn't pull any punches, he never does. He condemns excess and he condemns exploitation and then he goes on in the second part of the passage to tell us what happens to some of um, the victims if you like or those who have been exploited those who maybe have been oppressed by uh, the wealthy and he tells them be patient and it's the later it's the latter part of this chapter that we're going to focus on this morning and really I'm looking at the subject I suppose, of patience when faced with suffering. Patience when faced with suffering. The reality is that we all suffer. Suffering is human. Uh, the only person, and in fact there is no human person who's walked the earth who hasn't suffered. God doesn't suffer. He's perfect and he's powerful um, but he came to earth and Jesus suffered. So God in heaven, before he came to earth, he wasn't suffering there. He wasn't struggling. He wasn't in agony. He wasn't missing you and me and thinking to himself, oh my goodness, when are they going to... He wasn't feeling like that. He was totally perfect in his own relationship with himself, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he gave that up and came to earth where he suffered. Jesus says of himself... The Son of Man has to suffer many things. What that tells us today is that in heaven, because Jesus came to earth, you know, and uh, you know, he died and he rose again, and he ascended back into heaven, what this tells us is God in heaven knows what it is to suffer. Because the God of heaven has suffered. He knows what it is to lack. He knows what it is to experience pain or distress or hardship. 
Suffering can be just lacking in something. It can be the reality of loss. If you have lost something that was dear to you. I remember many, many years ago when my mum died, it was loss. There was suffering in that. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, no, I'll just get over it. No, I suffered. People suffer. Suffering can be material. You can, you can not have enough. Yeah? And if that goes on and on, that is a suffering. If you don't have enough food, that's a suffering. It's not like, this is, we're not talking about rights here, oh no, it's my right to this or that. There is a reality of suffering, material suffering. You might have circumstantial suffering. You might, you might live in a one-bedroom flat and you've got 12 kids. That's going to be suffering. Yeah? I mean, I lived in a one-bedroom flat for a while with my wife with two kids, and that was suffering, I'm telling you. You might have relational suffering, and, and it could be as simple as you had a best friend, maybe you were really good mates, and you grew up together, and you were, you were reliant on each other, and then something broke in the relationship, and they're not there anymore for you. You might suffer because of that. You might miss that, and I don't just mean, oh, I just miss them. No, there's something deep inside of you when you suffer. Suffering can be acute, it can be extreme, it can be constant. And that's real suffering. You see, I don't, I don't mean this in an offensive way, but there is no monopoly of suffering. There is no monopoly of happiness either. The poor whoever that might be, the vulnerable, the fragile, the minorities, do not have a monopoly on suffering. You can't claim that, oh no, we suffer, you don't suffer. There is no monopoly on suffering. There is no monopoly on happiness, as I say. The fact that you're wealthy doesn't mean you're happy. There are some people that have very little, but actually they're very content. There are some people who have a lot who are not very happy at all. We must understand and accept suffering in all its forms. Otherwise, as Christians particularly, we are in danger of mixing our suffering with guilt and not fully embracing what the Bible says about suffering. So if my response to my suffering, let's say it was a friend who sort of disappeared or when my mum died, if my response to my suffering is, oh, well, uh, there are people worse off than me, that kind of makes me feel a little bit guilty so then I don't, I don't kind of accept that I'm really suffering because someone else is really, really suffering and that's not me. I can't then engage in the grace that is available for suffering in the scripture. I can't do it because I'm not accepting that I'm suffering. Oh, I'm not really suffering um, because, you know, if I was really suffering, all of this would happen to me. The truth is suffering is human. It's how we're made. We're, we're made in the way that we suffer. We're made in a way that we suffer partly because we're not all powerful and we're not perfect. You see, if you were all powerful and you could control every circumstance in your life, you might not suffer. But the truth is you're not all powerful. So we do suffer. And we all suffer in different ways. We can oversimplify suffering and think that the only people who suffer are people who are starving in a third world country. That is not true. They do suffer, no doubt but you can suffer and you can live in the greatest wealth. Suffering is not related to uh, necessarily a certain type of person. It's a reality of being human. Because if it was not a reality of being human, it made no sense that Jesus suffered. 
It would make no sense. Suffering is a reality of being human, but more than that, it's a reality of sin. When sin entered the world, one of the things that came with it was suffering. One of the consequences of it was suffering. And so in this passage, James is speaking about that reality, that reality of suffering. And the first thing he talks about, he talks about, um, uh, just on the bit that we're looking at, going on to verse 7, he talks about the farmer. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. If you think about the farmer, now, I, I don't know how many of you are farmers. Maybe none of us are farmers. Maybe some of us grew up on farms. I, I didn't. I visited farms. Godstone Farm, for example. Um, it's not, I'm not even sure if that's a real farm, but it's, a, it's the kind of farm that you go to when you live in London and you've got young children. But when you think about what happens with the farmer, there's a natural order of things that allows for and requires patience. You see, patience has natural connotations. It tells us that the farmer waits for the harvest. He waits for the spring rains. It doesn't matter what the farmer does, he has to wait. There's no amount of bringing the rains forward. He doesn't do a rain dance and think, oh, you know, if I do this dance, whatever, the rains are going to come. No, he has to wait. He's got no choice. He cultivates, he plants, he, he can do a little bit of watering, and he, but he has to, in the end, wait. He can't artificially speed up the process of a harvest coming. He can't do it. It's impossible. If you think about it like that, patience becomes hard work. Although, in the natural order of things, it's much easier to accept. The farmer probably doesn't go out every day looking at his watch and thinking, when, when's the rain coming? He, he understands how the seasons work. For us, if we understood how the seasons work, we might be able to apply patience more in our own lives. You see, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not just like a, oh, a thing that oh, people keep telling me to be patient. No, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the ways that God grows you. Yet so often we are impatient. And more than ever in our generation, in our world, in the 21st century, we live with impatience. We don't wait for anything. Yeah? When I'm driving, I, if I see a two-car queue, I'm moving. I'm, out, I'm going down some road. It doesn't matter if it's going to take me half an hour longer as long as I am moving. Yeah? I will not stop. Oh, man, like there's three cars up there. Okay, let me go. Yeah? And sometimes I get lost, but then I go, well, that's how I find new routes. So I just go off. Yeah? We are naturally, our world is naturally impatient. We want things yesterday. We want things last week. We think we can bring tomorrow into today, and that is how we live. And you know what we've done is we we think of God like that. Yeah, we've turned God into someone who's like, oh man, they're in, they're in a bit of a rush. I need to get going. God is not like that. God, unfortunately for us, He's not changed. God isn't speeding up because you're speeding up. God's not like that. Yeah, when you start running, God doesn't start running. 
He's just waiting for you to get tired. And then when you get tired and you slow down and you stop, God might catch up with you and say, hmm. But we live in a world which is full of impatience. We must understand that. Because if we don't understand that, then we will try and rush things with God and we won't learn patience. And patience, as I said, is a fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the things that you're meant to learn. Yet we're so rushing, rushing. We're to show patience until his coming. Now, one of the ways that we can, we can learn this lesson of patience, this, this passage even looks to, it has this kind of eschatological look at it. It's looking at the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. When you are suffering, it is legitimate to look ahead. It's legitimate to look forward. It's legitimate to think to yourself, oh, there's a day coming when all pain will be done. Yeah, right now I'm in pain. Right now I'm suffering. Right now I'm struggling. But a day is coming. A day is coming when Jesus is going to wrap it all up. When I will see him face to face. That day is coming. It's legitimate to look to that day. Now you can't live there forever because otherwise, oh no, I can't, no, I'm looking, I'm looking ahead. No, we can't be immature about it. But we can genuinely look ahead. We can have a theology that means that in suffering, I can look forward. Yeah? In my pain, I can look forward to the day when there'll be no more crying, no more tears, no more pain. It's a legitimate part of of our theology. It's a legitimate part of our belief that we will look forward in times of suffering. That there is a natural order to, suffer, uh, to, to us becoming patient, to us waiting for God, just like the farmer has to wait for the harvest. There's a challenge, though, because this passage tells us that we, we've, we've got to learn to wait. And one of the things that happens when you're waiting, and you're waiting a long time, and maybe and in that waiting you're suffering, is you become, you can become grumpy, essentially, Passage tells us, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. Why does it say that? Why does it say that? Because there is a natural tendency when you've been waiting and waiting and maybe you've been struggling with something and and it's been difficult for you that you might become grumpy with those around you. That you you begin to complain. You begin to moan. You begin to... Pick holes, you begin to, oh yeah, it's all your fault. That's what happens. That's a natural thing. You think about it. You think about the Israelites in, in the desert. What did they do? What's the, what's the preeminent thought in, of Israel in the desert? They moaned. They complained. And they did it so much, alongside their, their unfaithfulness, they did it so much that God said, right, I'm going to wait for this generation to go. And they did it so much that Moses got so angry with them that God said, Moses, you're not going into the promised land now. Yeah, because in your anger, you struck the rock. Man, that's like deep. They moaned and they complained and they complained and they moaned. They complained at Moses, they complained about Moses. Why did you bring us here? It's a natural response or or a human response to suffering. When it's really tough, when, 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 when there's tension, when it's difficult, when the situation isn't changing. 
Yeah, often in relationships, when there is suffering, there can be there can be tension. There can be tension, there can be difficulty. Yeah, because you're feeling it. You're feeling the pain of it. And yet James tells us. Don't grumble against one another. He recognises it happens. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Which is interesting. Why would you be judged? Because you would have thought sometimes people have a legitimate complaint. You might have a legitimate complaint. I mean, you might turn it into a legitimate complaint because you go, well, I know my rights. I've got a right to this. I've got a right to that. But James is saying, no. You know, you might be suffering, but even in your suffering, you can still sin. That's a tricky one. Even in your suffering, you can still sin. You can still do the thing you're not meant to do. James is encouraging us, don't, don't do that. When it's a test in time, wait. But you can lose faith. You can become disillusioned. You can focus your attention. You can blame your leaders. You can blame your mum. You can blame your dad. You can can blame the world. It's it's easy to do that. But we are called to persevere through our suffering. We're not called to blame others for suffering. We can come to God in suffering. So we must learn to wait. That's the, that's the second thing. We've looked at the farm. There's this natural order of things, but we must learn to wait so that we can have peaceful relationships with one another, even during times of suffering and difficulty and challenge and trial. Yeah? A trial is not an excuse for having a bad temper. It's not an excuse. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm just under pressure. Yeah? If I go whacking people, oh, sorry, you know, I'm, I'm just under pressure, feeling the pressure. Yeah? There are other ways for Christians to deal with those things. And then he goes on to talk about patience in the face of suffering. And, and James talks about the prophets. Why does he use the prophets as an example of suffering? I think there are two, two ways that the prophets are examples for us. First of all, the prophets were often opposed for the messages that they brought. Yeah? So if you were a prophet, say in the days of Jeremiah, for example, who prophesied that Judah would eventually fall to Babylon, that was not a popular message. It was so unpopular, actually, in those days, that Jeremiah was threatened with death, he was imprisoned, he was beaten for saying it. Yeah? He suffered as a prophet. He suffered but he may have also suffered in the waiting. If you think about Joseph, the story of Joseph, when Joseph is is sold to to slavery by his brothers, he's then in in Egypt, and then in Egypt he ends up um, in Pharaoh's house, he ends up in prison. He is suffering in the waiting. God is going to fulfil his purposes, but in the waiting, Joseph is suffering. David suffers. David is, is anointed king of Israel 13 years before he actually becomes king. And in those 13 years, most of that time, Saul is trying to kill him. What a, what a, what a way to wait for your inauguration. Saul is waiting, trying to kill him. He suffered in that time. Yeah? Sometimes in the waiting, you suffer. 
Yeah? And, th- and it's not anything particular. It's not anything, it's not like that you're sick. It's not that you, you've got that kind of loss. You're just waiting. And in the waiting, you suffer. And this is telling us we need to show patience in the face of suffering. We're told to, to persevere through trial, through the suffering, waiting for God to bring about his answer. But the truth is, particularly today, it's hard. It's hard. It's almost like, I don't know what it is in the 21st century, that sometimes it feels like we're not, we're not built for it. It feels like we, we, we don't have it. We don't have whatever the resilience, the whatever is needed. Sometimes it feels like we don't have it. Sometimes you have no choice in your suffering. You've got young children and let's say one of your children wakes up um, 3 a.m. or every two hours or never goes to sleep. You don't have a lot of choice about that one. Yeah? You, you, you can't go on to Gumtree and say, child for sale. Yeah, three-month-old wakes up. At, you can't do that. Yeah? It's against the law, actually, to do that, just so, just so you know. So you don't have any choice with that suffering. You, you have to go through it. You go through it, and it's like it's hard and it's difficult, but you know what? You go through it. Yeah? Most, if not all parents, you get through it. Yeah? You can get through it. Where you have no choice, you can demonstrate this ability to be able to go through suffering. You might feel trapped in it, you know, as an emotional response. You might feel, oh my goodness, there's nothing I can do. I'm trapped here with my three-year-old who, who nine months ago, I loved the idea of this. Now, you might feel trapped in it, but you go through it. Yeah? Which probably shows that there is this deeper level of resilience that we have that sometimes we forget we have. Other times, and in some ways this is, I think, more our experience, we have a choice over our suffering. You might be in a job and you might not, you know, your job might have been okay and then it turns. And you're like, your boss changes and you're like, oh man, this guy is an absolute... Yeah, you don't like your boss, you don't like your job. And I, I've been there, I was in the job, and, and they always used to, it, it, I thought they always picked on me. Now, they probably didn't pick on me, but I thought they did, yeah? I thought they were picking on me, and they were sending me here and there. The thing about your job is you, you have a choice. Oh, I'm not putting up with that. I'm going to go and find another job where they don't do that to me. You go into the next job, and you find they do it worse. And then you're like, oh, what do I do with this one then? You see, where we have a choice and where we change things, we can change our situation, our circumstance. We can alleviate our suffering or our trials ourselves. Often that's exactly what we do. It's exactly what we do. Job's hard, I'll move. Yeah? Church is hard, I'll find another one. This girlfriend, I don't even understand what's going on with her, I'll just find another one. Often we can do that. Even in the biggest relationships, we can do that. And as a Christian, the, the, the challenge of doing that when you're a Christian is this. You, you can think to yourself, okay, I, I get it, I get it, Owen, that suffering is part of it. I get it, you know, I understand that. Yeah, yeah, Jesus suffered, yeah, I understand that. He understands, yeah. 
but I'm sure he didn't mean me to suffer this much. I'm, this is just, this is too much. God did not mean for me to be unhappy in my suffering. Sorry? If God had really meant that, he would have, he would have done something else. It's not healthy for me. It's not right for me. I'm, I'm just, I'm, do you know what? When I go to bed, I mean, I'm just, I'm down. I'm depressed. I'm sure God does not want me to be depressed. God wants me to be happy. So let me find a way of being happy. Because I'm sure that's what God wants me for me in the end. You can change things, and it does two things when you do that. Yeah? Because we're all tempted to do that, let's be honest. All of us will go, yeah, do you know what? I'm, yeah, I'm shifting out of that one. We can all do it. It does two things, though. First thing is it halts your growth. Yeah? It halts your character growth. It, it stops it. Yeah? The fruit of the spirit of patience no longer continues to grow in you. When you change your circumstance in order to alleviate your suffering. And remember, I'm saying suffering can be anything. I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about the great loss. I'm talking about you could be suffering at work. You might be being harassed. You might be being bullied. Something might be going on at your workplace or something's going on in your life or in your marriage or in your relationships and it's going on and on and on and on and you're thinking, I'm, I'm kind of done with it. Yeah? I'm just talking about everyday things. That can be suffering. That's what I'm saying. It halts your character growth. If you be Christian, it halts it when you alleviate it some way. The second thing it does, which we often don't think about, it sometimes cuts across God's answer. See, God does have answers. If you think about the story of Abraham, yeah, Abraham and Sarah, God promises Abraham, look, you're going to have a son and, and you're going to have all these wonderful people going to come after you, nations are going to come out. And Abraham is like, okay, I'm kind of believing you, but really? And then it goes on and on. It, it was actually like 25 years between the first time God made that promise to Abraham and the birth of Isaac. And what happened halfway in that gap? Sarah says, come on, Abraham, this is ridiculous. Why don't you take my maidservant? Maybe we can do something there. Because this ain't happening. Yeah? Why don't we alleviate it ourselves? Why don't we sort it out? And so what do they do? They have Ishmael. Yeah? And God in his sovereign grace, he blesses Ishmael, but Ishmael was never the intended one. God had promised them Isaac, and Isaac was always going to be born. Because God had promised it. But in that in that time, in that period when it's difficult, when they're, when they're struggling, when, when they're suffering, they decide, you know what, we've got, we've got an answer. And sometimes we even rationalise our answers because, you know what, I, I applied for another job. and I got an interview. Maybe God's in that. I got an interview for a job. I didn't know I was going to get an interview. The fact that you're really qualified kind of thing might, might suggest you would get an interview. But you're like, oh my goodness, God gave me an interview. Well, I went to the interview. I nearly missed my train, but I got my train. All these little signs seem to tell me that God's on the way. God's opening a door for me here. That's what we do. We rationalize it. We make it out like God has opened a door. God is lending me this way, leading me in a particular way. Oh my goodness, I got a job. I did not expect to get a job. Had you seen me in the interview? I was rubbish. But God gave me the job. It must be his will. It's not his will, necessarily. It's you 
alleviating suffering. And when you do it, you halt growth and you cut across what he's wanting to do in you. In one of my commentaries, it says, it talks about the character is only forged on the anvil of difficulty. The important word there is only. It is only forged on the anvil of difficulty. You do not grow in your character in any other way. You do not grow in character by coming to church. You might grow in character by coming to church, having problems at church and dealing with them, yeah. But you don't grow by coming to church. You don't even grow by simply reading the words of the Bible or lifting your hands in worship. That's not how you grow in your character. Remember Jesus said of himself, the Son of Man has to suffer many things. He had to suffer many things. He was never going to achieve all that God had set for him to achieve without suffering. And you will never achieve all that God has set for you to achieve without suffering. Then in this passage, James talks about the story. He gives an an example of the story of Job. And many of us will know the story of Job. But let me just summarize it briefly here. In the first two chapters of Job, you don't, you don't want to be Job. The first two chapters of Job, it's really obvious that Job is a very wealthy man. He's got lots of sons and daughters. He's got, uh, he's got influence in the town. He, he's, he's well known. Job, Job is doing well for himself. In fact, he's doing so well, God points at him and says, look at my servant Job. Job is doing well. He's, he's wealthy. He's got family. And in these first two chapters... He loses his sons and his daughters. He loses all his material wealth. And if that wasn't enough, he is then afflicted in his body with sores. Yeah. So, so he's not only lost everything externally, he physically has been afflicted. But he's still alive. But he's been afflicted. And what God was kind of saying was, look, Job doesn't just worship me because he's been blessed. It's deeper than that. That was kind of God's argument with Satan. It's deeper than that for Job. And Satan said, ah, we'll see. We'll see. At the end of chapter 2 of Job, his wife says to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replies, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And then it says, in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So he has been afflicted massively. Physically, materially, he has been afflicted. There is a reality to Job's suffering. It wasn't just, oh, you know, we read it in the Bible and it all seems a bit spiritual. There is a reality to the suffering. At the beginning of chapter 3, Job says this. He sat, he sits, his friends come, they sit for seven days silently. That was the best thing they did. Yeah, they should have just kept quiet, but they didn't. But they sit for seven days quietly, silently, and then Job says this. After this, Job opened his mouth and he cursed the day of his birth. 
He said, may the day of my birth perish and the night that said a boy is conceived, that day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. Ah, this guy is suffering. There is a reality to his suffering. Do you know what? When you suffer, you must be free to be able to suffer. Don't, don't mishear me there, but you must be free to be able to suffer. It doesn't always help when your friend or your partner says to you, there are people worse off than you. And you're like, oh, yeah, I, I know that. But that doesn't stop my suffering. It doesn't. That doesn't stop the pain. It makes me feel guilty about the pain, but it doesn't stop the pain. And Job, there is a reality to suffering that Job experienced. Now, if you know anything of the book, the next 30-odd chapters, and we're not going to go into them, basically, they're a fundamental argument. There's an argument between Job and his mates. And the argument is simply this. Job is saying... I don't get it, I don't understand why I'm suffering, but it's not because I've done evil or that I'm wicked, it's not those things. And his mates are saying, Job, you must have done something wrong for God to punish you like this. You must have. You must have done something. What did you do? Were you too arrogant, Job, in your helping of the poor? Were you doing it? What were you doing? He was like, no. And actually, in those 30-odd chapters, Job in his, you know, gets so annoyed, and he says, when I speak to God, I'm going to tell him. I'm going to ask him. I'm going to say, God, what are you doing? So he gets angry. He gets angry. They have this big back and forth, and in the end, his friends have to be quiet because Job does not give in. Yeah? Now, it's not to say that Job, was per- Job wasn't perfect in all of that, but that is what happens. And then in chapter 38, God responds. And it's interesting how he responds. God says, he says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. And he doesn't say, Job, my son, I'm so sorry. It's been so hard for you. I know it's difficult. He doesn't say that. He says, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Sorry? Have you you seen what's been going on here, God? Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Then he says to him, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Suddenly Job, what what can Job say? Job doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what to say, and God says a few words, never answers his question, tells him some stuff, points out the big, big, big picture. God sees it all. Job only sees the little bit that's his. You only see your bit. You don't see the big bit. Yeah? Joseph is suffering. He doesn't realize his suffering is for the salvation of a nation. He doesn't know that yet. But his suffering was for purpose. It wasn't for nothing. In the moment, he could think, I'm suffering for nothing. This is unfair. This is unjust. So God then goes on and he he explains about how he creates all sorts of things to Job. And then in chapter 42, Job says, I know that you can do all things. 
No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. In that moment, Job begins to recognize, I, I, I can't say anything. You and, we're not on the same levels. I thought I could stand up to God and tell him what for, and I realized I, I can say nothing. There are people today who think they can stand up to God. I'll tell him that God, yeah, I'll tell him what I think, why all these things are happening, I'll tell him, yeah? When God speaks, you be quiet, yeah? You won't say anything. So Job then replies, and God vindicates in part Job. He vindicates him in part. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my, as my servant Job has. You've not spoken the truth. You're trying to put it out there that I must punish him for reason. That is not true. You do not understand who I am. And then he says, Job's going to pray for you and I'm going to hear his prayer. Yeah, Don't you pray for you. Job's going to pray for you and I'll hear his prayer. And then God, having vindicated him in part, God restores him. It says, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. It was interesting. I didn't know, Val didn't know what I was going to talk about when he came up and he talked about suffering. But there is a much, much bigger thing about it that we must understand. God sees the end from the beginning. He sees the beginning from the end. You see your suffering in this moment. You don't understand. But what you do know, if you be Christian, is one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. And God allows you to handle your suffering with patience. He also allows you to handle your suffering through worship. He allows you to handle your suffering through, through the body, through the community of believers. Yeah? You don't need to isolate yourself when you're suffering, but you can press in. Yeah? The community where God dwells, God dwells here. He allows you to handle it by, by, by receiving grace from other people. God finds ways for you to handle it. He finds ways for you to handle it. You've got to press into those ways because you can step out and you can make your suffering all about you. But sometimes God's like, no, there's grace for you. There is help for you. I know what it is to suffer. And you can't turn around and say, no, you don't. No, he knows. He knows what it is to suffer. So I'm just going to finish with this verse. I don't know if the, the guys can come up and we'll do a song. I'm sure they've thought of one. So Romans 5 says this. We also glory in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. 
because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Can we stand together? And I I just want to encourage you just for a moment, just for a moment to close your eyes and we're just going to focus because I've got three, three points of application. There might be other things and and take from it what you will, but I've got three things that I just want to mention, felt to mention. So I want us to close our eyes so we can just focus for a moment, focus for a moment. The first is this. Some of you need to admit your suffering. You just need to admit it to yourself. Because unless, till you admit it to yourself, the grace that is available to you, you will not receive. You need to admit, even if you think, oh, it, it's, not, it's not as bad as that person or the other person, but you know, for you, it's a lack, it's a loss, it's an acute, it's an extreme situation that you find yourself in. You need to admit to yourself that you're suffering. And I know that's, that's hard for some of us, but I think some of us need to do that. We need to admit. Because that's when grace can come. That's when help can come. And you don't need to do that publicly. I'm just saying that this is what I think you need to do. Secondly, there are others here who need to acknowledge that in your suffering, if you're honest with yourself, you've sinned. You've, you've got bitter, you've got angry, you've got resentful, you've pushed people away, you've grumbled. All of that stuff, you know you've done. You need to acknowledge that in your suffering, you've sinned. And then when we're singing this song, you you know, we're going to come to God and, and, and respond to him. But it's you and God. Later, if you need to talk to somebody, do that. But right now, it's you and God. Admit your suffering. Acknowledge in your suffering you've sinned. And thirdly, there are some of us who need to accept God's plan and way for your life. And that that includes suffering. You need to accept it because sometimes we don't accept it. And that's when we, we try and alleviate suffering ourselves. We try and find ways of getting out of it. Rather than recognising God is with us in it. That God understands our suffering. So we need to admit, acknowledge and accept these things. So I'm going to pray and we're just going to respond in song. And um, I mean, I'd encourage you if you've, you know, maybe you want to talk to somebody, get someone to pray for you um, afterwards or, or make it in your mind. I'm going to talk to somebody about that. So let me pray and then we'll just uh, finish with the song. Father, I thank you. I thank you so much that, that you are the God who speaks. I thank you, God, that uh, Job went through all of that and then there was a moment where you spoke. And that's because you're living. You're the living God. You're not, you're not a dead God. You're not, you're not something that we've made up out of our imagination. You're real and you're living and you know what it is to suffer. Lord, I, I'm grateful that right at the heart of the throne room of God there is an awareness and an understanding of suffering. You get it. 
get it. And so I, I pray for us as a, just as a congregation, as a, as, a, as a church, I pray for us as individuals that you would come now and where necessary shift our thinking. Let us have the right perspective on this. Lord, humble those of us who need to be humbled to admit, oh yeah, I, I'm suffering. I don't, I don't like to admit it, but that's true of me. And Lord, help us, help those of us who need to acknowledge that in our suffering we've become bitter in our spirit. That we might, we might repent of that and we might come into freedom. And Father, for others we need to just accept, yeah, part of your way, part of your plan comes this way. And it's not great. And Lord, it can be really difficult at times. Uh, but you're in it. You're in it. And so I pray for us. I ask that you'll be with us. Holy Spirit, continue to work in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.